was always kind of taught to dream big and think like a leader. How can we hack the system? We are producers to its core. We're makers. That was that moment where I was like, yes, like this was a big one to put us on the map. Creativity is messy. Perfect is boring. That to me is good creative. That to me is success. You can see talent in people. We want to go create the next best brand in the world. This is who we are and this is what we do. This is Creatives Off Script. Patrick Hawley is the executive creative director at Upwork, where he led the rebrand and award-winning campaigns focused on the future of work. Prior to Upwork, Patrick has truly done it all, from working at some of the most recognized brands in the world, like Apple, Harley-Davidson, and Uber, to sharpening his creative skills at leading agencies like RGA and AKQA, to collaborating with Steph Curry and helping him launch his own content platform. Welcome to our show, Patrick. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Really excited to talk to you. I mean, all things future of work, you know, creative teams, how the world is evolving. This is stuff that I live and breathe every day. So uh, really excited, have a lot of questions around that. But typically on this show, we like to learn a little bit about your story first, how you got to where you were. So I want to start off with a question. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a doctor. I, uh, <laughs> Long story short, I grew up in, a, in an environment where it's like, you become a lawyer or a doctor or nothing. <laughs> and uh, so my dad uh, was in law, so I thought I'd rebel and become a doctor. Um, but in college, I realized that I hate chemistry. And so um, <laughs> I, at the same time that I found out I hated chemistry, found out that you could be something that wasn't a lawyer or a doctor, uh, and that thing could be creative. And so um, I ended up... Uh, I think it was uh, three years into my college career, um, completely shifting gears and doing a four-year comms degree in about a year and a half. So um, that brought me to uh, at least the, the, the front doorstep to where I am today. That's super interesting. And I think you're the first person I've interviewed that you know was going to school for something as opposite of the creative industry as becoming a doctor or a lawyer. And decided halfway through uh, your, your educational experience that you wanted to become a, a creative role. Uh, how was that? And I think from there, you initially stepped into a PR role was your first job. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I actually, I was down in, in Philadelphia uh, at a party of all things. Uh, go figure, in college at a party. Um, but I met somebody there who... Um, she said her major was music industry management. And I was like, it blew my mind that that was like a major someone would do. Um, because I always loved music. Um, I, I, I love kind of the creative field, obviously. And so I just started badgering her. I was like the most annoying person you could ever have met at a party because I wouldn't like leave her alone. I was like, tell me more about how you do this. And she ended up uh, introducing me to um, a, a really wonderful woman named Sue Zimmerman. She goes by Susie and she, um, she started a, uh, uh, back way back in the day, um, she started a, a PR firm, uh, called Magnum PR and she was, you know, instrumental in, um, you know, uh, acts such as Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and the prodigy. And she was gracious enough to take me under her wing as a, uh, as a PR, um, uh, a writer. And so I worked alongside her and, and her team to, um, help. Uh, people know who the hell we're trying to promote. 
Um, but since I was, I was at the bottom of the barrel, uh, and totem pole and everything else, uh, in that office, I was given the things no one else wanted to work on. So, uh, the first thing I ever worked on was the Jim Rose sideshow, uh, which is like one of those sideshow things you see at a circus where like guys hammer nails into their faces and like lay on, you know, uh, beds of snakes and stuff. And, and, uh, that's what I was pitching. That, that was my, my first ever writing gig was pitching, uh, the Jim Rose sideshow. I, I imagine if I were to do it again, it would be a lot of fun. I think I was just like really happy to just kind of like be involved in something that was creative um, and uh, and be doing it in a place like New York City that I was like, you know, just in awe and totally stoked. Um, but uh, I feel like it would be a fun brief right now to go back and revisit. That's for sure. And so you start in PR, then you got into copywriting, eventually worked at RGA and then Apple. Just tell me about that stretch of your career and what you discovered about yourself during that time. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, the bridge that kind of brought me from working in PR to working, uh, in, in creativity was, uh, my mom actually found a, a flyer, uh, at my school for, um, this thing called the, the, uh, Portland advertising federation collaboratory. And, uh, it's basically where you, um, you apply and they, they pick, two writers, two art directors, two designers, and two, um, you know, uh, planners, uh, or aspiring, you know, planners, writers, art directors from, uh, graduating classes around the country. Um, and so, uh, I ended up getting one of those two seats for a writer, um, based on a completely fabricated book that I just pulled out of my ass. So, <laughs> um, that was, I was like, okay, cool. Maybe this stuff is easy. Turns out it's not. Um, and so I, I, um, was lucky enough to start working at a bunch of different shops in Portland, um, just as an intern for them. Uh, and then, um, uh, ended up moving up to Seattle for a quick stint and, and met uh, a woman named Mira Crisp, who was my, um, my, one of my creative directors there. And she kind of took me under her wing. And when she went to RGA, she took me with her. Um, and so that brought me to San Francisco was working there and, and really kind of got a, a full fledged look at what agency life was like, um, which, which is, um, which was really fun. Honestly, uh, agencies are a cool place to be, especially when you're a junior creative. I mean, you basically live there. So well, thankfully they are a cool place to be, but, um, uh, yeah, I ended up, uh, uh, working on a bunch of different, uh, you know, fun tech based brands. I mean, it's, it's, it was a RGA San Francisco. So, you know, a lot of the clients there were tech based. Um, but ended up, uh, parlaying that into, into a gig at, at, at Apple because, um, I, the last client I worked on at RGA was, um, uh, was, was helping to name, uh, and brand, um, beats music, what ended up becoming beats music. And, um, well, as the story goes, Apple ended up buying beats music, uh, and folding it into Apple music. Uh, and then, um, and, and to do that, you know, they needed to kind of do a whole lot of rebranding and, and kind of strategic thinking around, you know, what their voice was going to be and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I was actually, um, through a, through a good friend, Keir Smith, uh, who worked at Apple, he brought me in to do an interview and, and ended up going well. And I helped, uh, write a lot of the copy that, um, you know, was to, uh, you know, merge those two brands and help, uh, you know, Apple become, uh, you know, they're very cool, especially not today, but at that time, especially iTunes didn't see themselves as such. And they were especially up against a brand like beats. They, they needed a kind of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, legwork around that. So I ended up being one of the people who put that legwork in to, uh, to try and, uh, you know, meld those two brands into one, uh, you know, one Apple music as it is today. Yeah. Cool project to work on really 
and I think it's come out well, right? Yeah, no, it's 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 done pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> and I I also saw that you have a photography background. Is that right? Um, I I have a photography background, like the cook in Ratatouille has a background in in cooking. Um, where essentially like, I kind of look like I know what I'm doing, but there's someone else behind the scenes really actually doing it. And I kind of fell into photography and it was, I was actually working with, I was working with Steph Curry for, for a number of years, helping him build a content platform to address his, his fan base in China. And, um, through that, you know, we needed a lot of assets taken. There was no one to shoot it. So I ended up basically self-teaching, um, how to shoot. And then as luck has it, uh, the same representation that represents Steph also represents Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, who uh, is a very, very wonderful, gracious individual. And we had a great time together. Um, we ended up spending about two weeks or so together in China. Um, and then after that, um, his agent, um, uh, Alex, ended up asking me, hey, we need to do this campaign uh, for, uh, it was a, a deodorant company. He's like, do you want to shoot it? I was like, I mean, I guess. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, like basically learning, like calling all of my photography friends being like, can you please teach me how to do like proper lighting and uh, how to, you know, everything, literally everything. And um, so I ended up uh, shooting that, that, uh, that campaign for Giannis and um, funny story. The, one of the photos I actually took of Giannis that day is how I met my wife. <laughs> Um, she ended up seeing it on the explore page of, of Instagram and, um, and she, she slid in my DMS <laughs> and she asked me out for a drink, uh, to which I obviously said yes. And, uh, and here we are today, but, uh, I wouldn't say I have a background of photography. I'd say that I I've dipped my toe in and there are obviously much more talented folks out there in the world than me, but I just kind of, um, I grabbed a paddle and rode as they say. Yeah. There, there's so much to unpack. There's so many stories there. Um, but I want to start with Steph Curry. How did that come about? How did you get connected with him? And what were you creating together? After, after Apple, um, I kind of wanted to get back into the, um, into the, the, the agency world. I felt like I was still kind of a young creative. I didn't necessarily have, um, you know, the breadth of experience that, uh, I, I kind of wanted before I went brand side. Um, and so I wanted to go back into agency world and I wanted to start kind of like grinding again and, and, and starting to, you know, make work for different brands. Um, so one of, uh, the recruiters from RGA ended up going over to AKQA and she ended up reaching out and she's like, Hey, do you want to help work on the, uh, the Jordan brand at AKQA? And I was like, absolutely. I do 100%. And so that's what I did. And I went over there and, and, um, was working with, uh, some really great creatives, um, uh, uh, Dave Ruiz and, and Jan Barczykowski, uh, in particular. And, um, I was working with them to do a, a content platform, uh, well to do a lot of things, but one of them was a content platform for, for the Jordan brand. And so at that time I ended up taking a motorcycle ride with, um, with a guy who, uh, he was like the, the boyfriend of, of this girl who the girl I was dating at the time was, uh, shooting cause she's actually a photographer. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we ended up going on this motorcycle ride and I'd never met the guy. Um, but we were at a gas stop and, and he was like, Hey, I really need to find a place to go watch to, like a t to watch uh, basketball. And I was like, okay, cool, man. Like, um, we're going to be, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere right now. We were just going through like Yosemite, but, uh, let's, let's go find a place. 
And so um, we had to find this tiny little bar. It's like the only bar in this tiny little town. And we go in and he like sprints to the door. He was so excited. And I'm like, okay, like maybe he has to go to the bathroom or like maybe he's just really into basketball. Turns out super into basketball and particularly super into Steph Curry. And I was like, you know, looking at him, just kind of in awe at how stoked he was about like this game and how invested he was. I was like, he must have like his life savings on this game or something. Like there's no reason why someone would be this excited. Um, but then, you know, obviously whenever you meet somebody and you're kind of spending those first few hours with them, the conversation of, oh, what do you do comes up? And he asked me and he, I was like, well, you know, I, I work for this ad agency. We're doing a, a content platform for the Jordan brand right now. What do you do? He's like, oh, I work with Steph Curry and I'm building a content platform with him. We should probably talk. And so that led to me um, getting introduced to Steph and his team and, and uh, spending two years working uh, alongside them, um, uh, building this platform, capturing content for it and, and creating what ended up being one of the first um, celebrity led uh, content platforms uh, um, in, in, uh, in China. Wow. Yeah. I, I believe that was built on WeChat right? It was, it was built on WeChat. Yeah. We wanted to use something that was, um, like didn't require somebody to, to download a whole new app, you know, mm-hmm. and WeChat being the most ubiquitous app in, uh, in China, it felt like a, a pretty, um, a pretty easy decision. If you're enjoying creatives off script, make sure you check out angle on producers podcast hosted by Emmy nominated producer, Carolina Grappa with over 80 episodes released. The podcast shines a light on the unsung heroes behind your favorite movies and shows through her guests. Carolina demystifies the age old question. What exactly does a producer do by giving you an honest glimpse into what it's like to walk in a producer's shoes? These time capsule conversations help others, especially women navigate their own paths in the industry. Past guests include formidable producers such as Eva Longoria, Lynette Howell-Taylor, Molly Asher, Stephanie Elaine, and many more. Find Angle on Producers wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to the Creatives Offscript Podcast. And so just looking at your resume, I mean, you've worked with so many amazing companies from RGA to Apple, Uber, Harley-Davidson. Um, how, do you, how do you describe the way that you work. I mean, it seems like you are touching so many different creative outlets throughout your career and you're, you're not that old, right? Like you've, you've been at a lot of different places. So how does that work? I wouldn't necessarily suggest that it runs you pretty ragged, (laughs) but, um, but my kind of thesis on, on like kind of like my North star when it, when it comes to determining, you know, next moves and, uh, and all that kind of stuff is really, um, is there a story to tell? Like how, how deep is the, is the well for, for creative storytelling? Um, and, uh, for that, I look at the core of each of these brands. And so like, if you look at all the brands that I've worked for, um, they, they tend to have a pretty, um, deep well, if you will. So, um, uh, for Apple, for example, it's all about, you know, the narrative is about creativity. And in terms of Apple Music, it was like creativity and discovery, which are like really rich territories to play in. Um, if you think about um, uh, Uber, uh, it's all about connection, connecting people, uh, connecting people to each other, to their cities, to goods and services, whatever. Um, it, Harley Davidson is all about freedom, which is, you know, as American as apple pie and also a pretty deep well. 
Uh, but the one that was most exciting to me was, was my current job at Upwork, which is um, it's about, about, about work. You know, all of those things that I just spoke about are um, compelling and, uh, and rich territories to dig into. But um, when you think about work, uh, it, it kind of, it trumps all of them. And, and that, you know, comes for many reasons, but you, know, you think about work, um, everybody does it. Everybody has, you know, a, a deep tie to it for the most part. Some people, including myself, even define a part of their personality based on what they do for a living. And so, um, that's a really, really fucking deep well <laughs> to pull from. And it allows us to make everything from, um, you know, uh, we made our own coffee last year. We ended up winning at ADC for that, which is awesome. Um, to making, you know, our most recent campaign that features a a dead CEO who's singing a musical about how the old ways of working are dead. You know, so I think like for me, everywhere I look, I look for like how deep is that well, and and also at the same time, how willing is you know that organization to dig into that well. Um, our, our CMO, Melissa waters, when she came on her and I had a, um, uh, a one-on-one, um, the first week she got here and she was talking about how great work is made on a stool with three legs. The first one is, is a brand worth talking about. So that's really like that. Well, right. Um, the second is a team that can make great work. Um, and which is my responsibility. (laughs) And then the third is, um, is a permission structure throughout the organization to make that great work. I think she just said something to the effect of like, welcome to the third leg of the stool, um, which I was like, sick, you're, you're the best. <laughs> but, but, um, but I really look for, I, I, it took her kind of like saying that to realize that, Oh, that's what I've been looking like. That's how I kind of uh, make my, my, uh, my, my judgments on, on kind of what the next move is and, and my trajectory professionally, if you will. Yeah. And let's let's uh, come to the president here and, and talk about you uh, getting a job at Upwork. Super interesting story. I believe you were working as a freelancer on Upwork as a creative director to help them with their rebrand. Uh, we'd love to hear how that came about. I have been a serial monogamous with all of my like career choices up until that fateful day. I decided like freelancing is what's up. <laughs> and I wanted to, um, you know, I was kind of staring down the barrel of having to move to a city I didn't want to, uh, for a job, which is, you know, something I had done a dozen, literally a dozen times before that. And I was kind of like, fuck that. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. I feel like, like, um, I want to finally put down roots somewhere that I want to be. And my wife and I have always wanted to move to Austin, which is where we live now. Um, and so that's what we did. And, um, uh, my first client was Upwork and you know, what, a, what a fitting kind of first client to freelance for, I suppose. Um, but, uh, I came on and, uh, that was for, as you said, for, to help with their rebrand. But I think it was like two weeks into me starting, uh, the ECD at that time, um, uh, he left for a job at Google. And so, um, Amanda, uh, uh, Leach Ruby, who was my, my boss at the time. Now she's, she's my partner. She's absolutely fantastic. The VP of, of brand, uh, at Upwork. She was like, Hey, are you interested in interviewing for this job? <laughs> it took me a second. Cause I, I was, I was kind of like, I don't, because I, I really wanted to embrace this, this world of freelancing. But, uh, at the same time I was like, well, if there's any place that going full time would probably be close to freelancing, it would probably be Upwork. 
So, um, so what I ended up doing is um, taking a week to do an audit of the the team and the brand, and basically telling her like, "Hey, this is this is what I really think the the create like the role creativity should play in this organization." And um, it was basically shifting the organization from being what was you know basically like a, a short order cook situation, just just like, "Hey, you need this banner. We'll make you this banner in this amount of time." to being more of a strategic and conceptual partner to the larger organization, both the, the marketing organization, but then like the, the, the company in general. And um, I put together this, this deck and it basically was like more headcount, complete change of, of what the team does. Um, uh, all, all the things that are very scary typically to uh, leadership of organizations, like these paradigm shifts fully intended them to say no. Like literally, I, I almost kind of like try to go a little bit far in certain places. So they'd be like, like force my own hand so I wouldn't have to take a full time job. But uh, to their credit, um, you know, it, to Amanda's credit, she was like, no, this is exactly what we should be doing. And I was like, fuck, yes, let's do it then. And so uh, that's what I've, I've been spending the past 18 months doing alongside my team. Um, now we, we run just like an agency. We're actually branding ourselves like an agency, which seems like every in-house shop is doing right now. But I think it is important. Because, you know, you are dealing with clients, you are dealing with stakeholders, you are dealing with, you know, deliverables, all these kind of things that agencies do. And most people, if not every single one of them on my team came from agencies. So that's what we've created. We've, um, you know, uh, spent a lot of time and blood, sweat and tears and all that kind of stuff doing that. And um, now we have a, a, a team of about 40 people and 80% of them are freelancers, um, many from the Upwork platform. Um, we. Uh, reside all throughout the country and the world and they are without a doubt the best people i've ever worked with yeah i think that's that's fascinating uh and makes total sense that 80 percent of the team is freelance and this goes to you know something that you talk a lot about is that you're really fighting this battle of in-house versus outsourced right and this comes through in the new brand campaign and everything um which is something, you know, our, our company, we focus on collaboration software, remote teams, specifically in the creative fields and a lot in production. So this is our belief as well. Like the, the world is moving towards a more remote model where workers have, are, are more empowered to pick and choose what they want to work on and live the way that they want to live and, and just work the way that they want to work. Um, but I'm curious to hear your take on that and tell me more about where you think that balance is headed is outsource the future what does that look like in your opinion and by outsource do you mean like using outside agencies or outsource do you mean like using freelancers just the difference between full-time in-house versus any sort of outsource whether that's freelancers agencies uh just that that mix great great question um so i think we're at an inflection point in many ways right now The, the first one is one that i've kind of been observing for a long time in kind of as someone who's who's ping pong between brand and brand and agency for his whole career is that some really really great creative minds over the past 10 years or so have been moving from the upper echelons of the agency world into leadership roles at brands that has created a world in which your in-house team can be you know just as powerful as an agency and you don't have to bring in agencies to like make the fun stuff you bring in an agency to augment your team because you don't have, you know, enough headcount at this very moment, or you don't have knowledge in a specific sector or whatever. But it shouldn't be like a, um, you know, 
you can't find great creatives to work internally at your team because uh, great creatives don't want to work internally. I think that's completely changed now. So like we've got, uh, you know, amazing, um, amazing people on our team who have come from places like, um, you know, leadership position, like, like group creative directors at media arts lab or, um, uh, widening Kennedy, like creative directors, all these people who, uh, you know, any, any brand would be lucky to get when they're hiring, you know, that agency. Now, you know, if you are willing to create an environment that is conducive to them making great work are willing to work for you. Um, and I, uh, I've recently become friends with with David Lee from uh, the CCO of Squarespace, and um, he had an illustrious career in the the world's biggest agencies before he went over Brandside. And over the past ten years at Squarespace, he has built uh, a team of I think it's about seventy five that are they make everything in house, one hundred percent of everything they make from banners to Super Bowl Super Bowl commercials is in house, um, and so. It absolutely can be done. It just takes time to earn the trust of creatives and to be putting out that work that that attracts them. Like for example, our new campaign when we did it, I had like hundreds of of um, messages in my LinkedIn being like, "Hey, are y'all hiring?" And it was people from like Droga Five and Widen, and people like you'd you'd really want to have on. So um, I think like first off, you can build an amazing inter- internal team, um, but second, doing it without thinking that freelance should be a main pillar in which you, you know, uh, uh, you run that team is setting yourself up for failure because, uh, a benefit of agency, uh, running the agency model is that you can fire them if one, they're not good or if costs happen, uh, cost cutting happens because agencies are very expensive. And so if you can bring on, you know, amazing freelance talent based on needs, you're able to scale up, scale down, do whatever you need to do and be a nimble internal shop. Um, and so that's why 80% of my team are freelancers. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily on the team for just you know a couple of uh, uh, days or, or, or even weeks or months. Uh, we have people on the team who have been freelancing for us for four years. But it does allow for them to have the freedom to work the way that works for them. You know, Some people on our team, like there's one person... Uh, who's who's on our strategy team alana who she works a bit of a hybrid schedule because she runs a farm with her husband and so like they're able to have these kind of uh these kind of um ways they, they could basically work the way that works for them to put it simply uh and it also allows for brands and people like myself who are running them to properly staff up scale up when necessary but also be able to have a, a dynamic model that allows for us to adapt to um you know the shifting <laughs> tides of, of business. So, I mean, I'm never going to build another team that is not in this way ever again. Producers, are you sick of messy projects, outdated calendars, hundreds of email chains, and lost files? Have you dreamed of one tool that can bring your entire production workflow together in one place? Assemble is the project management platform designed by producers for producers featuring calendars, task lists, call sheets, asset management, and more. Assemble helps industry-leading production companies, agencies, and brands streamline their content production workflow. Try Assemble today using the code OFFSCRIPT, that's one word, to get your first month free. Learn more at assemble.tv. You are listening to the Creatives Offscript podcast. 
you know, you, you allude to this a lot is the Hollywood model. And it's something, you know, my background is in the film industry. And uh, as you know, in the film industry, it's this, uh, this industry of highly, highly skilled professional creatives that come together one project at a time, you know, um, uh, such as a, a Hollywood film, create that project, create something amazing, and then really disperse and potentially never work together again. What's interesting, I think, is that Hollywood studios, in my opinion, were like the first big creative companies, right? Like they, and when they launched, they initially had all those creatives on staff. The directors were on staff, the DPs, everyone was on staff, and they just churned out movies. And eventually that model dispersed and everybody became more freelancers. And then you had the agencies come along, like the next big creative companies. And I think we've seen that similar trend happen with the agencies becoming more every, not everyone, but a lot of people becoming more this freelance model. And I I feel like as we are moving towards more and more knowledge workers and companies just being creative companies in general, this trend maybe continues to happen for all companies. I mean, do you, do you see everybody following that Hollywood model in in the long term? You know, it's funny you bring up the Hollywood model. That that was uh, the first time I spoke at Adobe max last year. That was like the the theme of it. Uh, But the, the most recent time this past uh like literally actually a, a week ago today uh i was doing a talk there and it was all about um kind of like how you can build culture and trust with your workers and one of the slides was um outputs over inputs and it was basically like you know the old way of working was making sure that someone came into an office sat their butt in a chair for eight hours had you know their coffee break then sat their butt back down and then left at five o'clock. And it's like that whole model had nothing to do with what that person was actually doing and the value that they were providing for themselves and for the company. And so kind of like this new way of working is trending more towards an outputs over inputs kind of model. One that is like, Hey, I'm hiring you, Nathan, to make uh, this thing for me or to provide this service for me and my team. Um, the amount of time you do it in is, is almost kind of doesn't make a difference to me, but um, the, the, the quality of that output is, is the most consequential thing. And I, I had a line in there where I said, um, unless you're hiring security guards, the number of hours someone puts in is completely un- inconsequential. So if you are hiring these knowledge workers, you are going to be able to find a much more economical way of building teams and making great work if you embrace this kind of freelance first model when i say economical i don't just mean like oh cost savings and stuff sure yeah absolutely you can save costs but i mean like economies of of time economies of scale uh, it allows you to you know have somebody who's who's um motivated by by cre- providing value as opposed to providing uh, hours on a timesheet and it also allows you to, you know, provide those economies of scale where your company can um, scale up like that. If you're used to bringing on freelancers and molding them into your team, and and you are working with people like, you know, the folks on Upwork, shameless plug, uh, that have experience working freelance before and and come kind of batteries included like that, um, then you're going to be able to scale up quickly. Um, so it, it kind of like a more economical way of working sounds, uh, really, um, devoid of all emotion and pretty dead, but, uh, hopefully it, it, um, it kind of has that, that depth and nuance that I just, um, tried to explain. Yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. And it, 
it mirrors a conversation I had with another guest, uh, Joel Pilger, who's a, a consultant to creative creative firms, and he's trying to, you know, one of his goals is to kill the line item bid if you're a creative company and you're bidding on work, and just you know, rather than clocking the hours, as you say, and putting together a bid, this is how much each hour costs of our work. Uh, they're they're not buying that; they're buying the output, right? Like they're buying the the final delivery, your creative talent, uh, what what's in your portfolio. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of a shift that you all believe in at Upwork as well. And it's really just like shifting to a, a more uh, economy of trust, right? Like the old model is yeah. if you're not here sitting in this seat and I can't see you working every hour of the day, then I'm not getting my money's worth uh, versus this new model, which has been driven a lot by remote work. That is super well put, and I'm definitely stealing economy of trust. That's amazing. Yes, <laughs> like 100. percent And and that's like, um, you know, I also had another slide in my presentation that uh, just said, "Work is not adult daycare." Like, work is is when people come together to make something that is greater than the sum of its parts. It's not uh, somebody looking over your shoulder and saying, "Nathan, did you put in your eight hours today?" You know, that's not. No one actually wants to work like that. That seems almost dystopian just the way that I said that. And um, so, you know, we want to, you know, encourage this world that um, is where work rises to our potential, not the other way around, you know, and, and where, where people can find, you know, growth and fulfillment and, and, and value uh, both in what they can give to people, but also what they're giving to themselves uh, in the way that they work. Um, Cause if you have that trust, that unlocks all the rest of that. 100%. And uh, yeah, economy of trust, it's all yours. As long as I see it on a billboard next time I'm in, I'm in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and so circling back to your team specifically and, and how you're running this, I mean, 80% freelance, really incredible. A lot of people talk about how do you build a culture with remote work? Uh, but I think when people say that, they're mostly thinking about a former uh, full-time team that's now working remotely. I think it takes it to another level when you're not only working remotely, but it's a, a large percentage of your team is freelancers that may be coming in and out. How do you think about maintaining culture in that scenario? That is the most important thing to me uh, and to my leaders is like, how are we going to make sure that we create and maintain and grow a culture in a world that is the remote world that is, you know, so counter to that, at least on its face, you know, when we first went remote building culture in that world was the equivalent of like zoom happy hours and these kind of like weird things that were like, Oh, the stuff that we used to do, but just now it's on camera and we're apart and just, it rings hollow. I don't know if you've ever done zoom happy hour, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, they, they fucking suck. <laughs> um, and, and the reason why it's because we're trying to take something that was in person and thinking that it has the same effect when you're not in person. And the reality of that is that it's just, it's not the same uh, going to see a, a football game, for example, in person versus on TV are two completely different experiences. Um, but they look similar, but when you actually come down to like, you have a completely different feeling towards one or the other. And so um, what my team uh, and myself try to do is to look at all the things that we used to do to build culture distill them down to why they were actually good or in some cases bad and then adapt 
new ways of, of building said culture by mapping them back to those values. And so uh, what we ended up doing at the beginning of this year was to create a set of team values that was based on, on, on just that, on kind of like the things that really we believe in that, that made our cultures in the past great. And uh, it's, it's five things. It's uh, kindness, um, uh, craft, communication, drive, uh, and humility. And, you know, some of those speak directly to like, you know, you can clearly understand that they're like, let's make great work kind of things like craft and drive. Um, but all the rest of those are, have nothing to do at least on their face with like making creative work. Um, but when you kind of dig a little deeper, they, they have everything to do with maintaining an environment in which creative work can be made. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, spent a lot of time figuring out what those, those, those values are, but then it also allowed us to kind of like start doing things that allowed for us to build that culture. And I'll, I'll give you a couple examples and then, um, then I'll shut up. But uh, the uh, kindness is the first on our list for a very important reason. Uh, and it followed closely by communication because in this new world where we see um, people as boxes on a screen, it's really hard in some cases to remember them as people. And so we always try to create space and time for treating people like people and having human conversations because, you know, right next to you, your face right now on my computer screen is my calendar for the week. And it's just meetings. And, you know, what do you do in meetings? You talk about work. And when you only talk about work with somebody, that's just, you see them as that just an interface with which you work with, as opposed to a person that you work alongside. And so with my team, whenever we meet, for example, during our, our, our Monday kind of team syncs, um, we don't, uh, we don't spend a lot of time talking about work. We start off by having a competition about who had the best weekend, which is always fun. Uh, and then, um, as we give, uh, each of the updates throughout the team, like each of the directors starts talking about, okay, these are the top three things that we're thinking about right now. Um, uh, before we even get into that, someone shares something and like, for example, Todd Lamb, who's uh, a creative director of copy on our team. Every week he does a, a, a Trader Joe's snack review. And uh, he's now branched outside of Trader Joe's. This, this week it was Oreo Cakesters. And he had uh, a very rare uh, one-star review of Oreo Cakesters. Usually his, he's, got, he's got some pretty, pretty favorable reviews of his snacks. But, you know, um, uh, um, SL uh, Leinbach, who is the head of our, of our ops uh, side of the house, she does like a... Um, uh, a horoscope uh, reading for people. Like it's, it's us talking about things that very deliberately talk about things that are not work because that's all we usually do. And, and that's all we will do if we let that happen. And so these kind of moments to, to talk with each other is important. And, and so when it comes to, to communication and kind of stuff like that, like we really try to, to kind of hammer those down. And that, that actually comes to the most important thing I think, which is, um, the last thing that we do on our, 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 our Monday meetings, which is um, a moment to give thanks for each other. So we spend 15 minutes at the end of, of our, of our sync um, shouting people out being like, you know, Hey, Nathan, thank you so much for, you know, uh, your work on, uh, you know, the brand campaign this past week. I know it's been really tough. You've made my life way easier. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for, for everything you do. You're a rock star. Appreciate you. And then, that just kind of goes on for 15 minutes. People just give thanks for each other. And it's, 
it's uh, it's nice because it's nice to get a compliment, but it's also nice because in this world where we are just kind of like, uh, uh, it, it can get very transactional if we let it. Um, when you have to have a tough conversation with somebody, because a great culture is made on 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 well trodden paths of communication and and the ability to have tough conversations if need be, um, you know, we want to make sure that when those tough conversations need to happen. It's not the first time you're talking with that person as a person. Mm. You know, um, if you only had seen that person in large group settings um, and they were just a box on a screen, maybe even video off, you know, you don't have that person to person connection. You don't feel that empathy. You don't feel you don't see that person as as um, as a reflection of yourself. And that is we try to take as many opportunities to create those humanizing moments as possible. They seem silly and they seem trivial, but I promise you they're not. No, that's incredible advice. And and that really resonates with me. I mean, I think that is the difference between looking forward to that meeting, right? Like people, I, I assume on your team probably have good emotions around that meeting because it's about personal connection. It's not just another Zoom call on the books. And I think that's probably what we're missing a lot of not going into the office is those just seeing your friends, right? And hanging out with your friends at work. Uh, so that, you know, that, that makes so much sense to me uh, and definitely, definitely resonates. I wanted to talk real quick about your new brand campaign. I don't mean real quick because it's amazing. And I want to, I want to dive in here, but so you worked with Alto uh, agency to create the, this is how we work now campaign. And this really got pretty fun. I mean, a year ago, looking at the ads, they were, they were super well done, very cinematic, uh, you know, very, very nice ads. And then this year really flipped it on its head. You've got this CEO zombie breaking into like Broadway musical song and dance. Um, (laughs) would love to just hear the process of how that went, especially like getting that approved internally and how a company like Upwork was open to, uh, such a out of the box idea. So first off, huge shout out to Alto, Hannes and Ed and, and Shannon and Jason and Jeff and, and Brock They're they, like, honestly, and Ashley, they're fucking amazing creatives. Like they're some of the best people I've ever, I've ever had the, the pleasure of working with. And, um, and they actually did, they did that campaign for us before that, that last one you were referring to, too, like the one before the zombie one, you look at those two campaigns and they, you know, as the British say, they're chalk and cheese. Like they couldn't be more different, right? And the reason why that paradigm shift happens is um, complicated and simple at the same time. Uh, it was complicated to get there, but it was simple in terms of what we did to get there. And so it started with with Melissa Waters coming in, um, our CMO, and uh, she is a um, a wonk for strategy, which I love because so am I. And, um, she was basically like, Hey, we need to kind of like tape us, take a step back. We need to think about who the hell we are as a brand. We need to think about what we're making and why that is going to be successful in terms of differentiating us from the rest of the opportunities that people have to connect with, you know, the fibers and LinkedIn's and literally anything else in the world to find people. Um, I mean, we need to do so in a way that is, that is ownable by us, not only just for this campaign, but for the long term. And so what we ended up doing is embarking on a multi-month uh, kind of like vision quest where we were thinking about like, 
who the hell are we? What are we trying to provide to the world? How are we going to stand out? And we got a lot of strategic kind of um, uh, uh, rigor out of that and a lot of great work. But in terms of like how it actually impacted this campaign and got us to a talking zombie is that we took a look at, at the rest of the, um, the, the competitive space within staffing. And it is really dry. It's overly earnest. And so what we wanted to do was be the opposite of that, you know, and, and not to take anything away from our, our previous campaign. Cause like you said, it was cinematic. It was beautiful, all that kind of stuff, but it was very earnest. It was serious. It was, you know, uh, reflective of the moment we were in to be fair. Um, but we're, we're now kind of coming out of that moment and we're, we're looking to, to, to zig whenever everyone else is zagging. And, and that took the turn, took the, um, uh, the form of, of Jack McDykel, the singing CEO who comes back from the dead to tell you that uh, the ways that you've been hiring have been wrong all along. <laughs> and so um, we were lucky enough to have a fantastic creative team internally and a fantastic creative team over at Alto that worked together to, to come up with this stuff. And, um, and it was uh, the core creative team over there working day to day on this was, um, was Jason Bagley who did all the old spice stuff at Wyden. He was an ECD over there. Uh, and then the, the, the team was, um, was Brock Kirby, uh, writer and, uh, and, and Jeff Dreyer as an art director. And, and they've, you know, done countless iconic, very funny campaigns before. And so like from a, from a creative standpoint, we were like, it's on us to fuck this up. <laughs> and luckily, uh, we didn't. Um, and we have a, a fantastic campaign that, that, uh, is now, um, running on a television near you called this is how we work now i love it so well done so hard to pull off comedy but it seems like the you, you had an amazing team there from top to bottom yeah and who who are you marketing towards i'm curious like are you are you going for the enterprise is it the solopreneur like who who are you speaking to uh it's a great question and it's a very complicated one to answer the reason why it's complicated is because we're kind of going for everybody but for different reasons so when you think about like, when you go back to what I was saying before about like the well and like how deep a, a brand story is and how Upwork is the deepest one I've ever seen. Um, it's because literally everybody in the world has a story around work and experience around work and almost all of them do work. Um, and so we as a company are trying to create this paradigm shift in the way that we all work um, into kind of this glorious, you know, uh, future or really this glorious now in which you can have, um, you know, all the talent in the world and that's it. <laughs> and so, um, we, we target directly kind of like our, our clients, if you will. So like any other marketplace, we've got two sides, buyers and sellers. We call them talent and clients. Um, and so we, we end up targeting the, um, the clients because, um, they're easier to target. You know, there's fewer of them. Their motivations are, um, are pretty solidly understood. But also because they are, um, you know, they are the drivers of of commerce. They are. If we want to really change the way that that we work, um, starting with them is a really good first step. So um, we do uh, a lot of uh, you know direct targeting to them, but we never do it without making sure to um, do it in a way that heroes talent, the heroes the worker that shows, you know, uh, the 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 client, hey you should work in this, this way. And the reason why is because great talent is freelancing right now and they want to work this way. So if you want to keep succeeding in the future, 
get on board. We'll show you how to do it. Hmm. Yeah. And I could, I could talk with you about this stuff forever. I mean, this is really what I live and breathe, but unfortunately uh, I know we're almost at time. So I, I want to leave with this last question. What is your vision of the future of work look like 50 years from now? I mean, is it, is it a DAO? Is it a, a fully decentralized, uh, you know, system that gets rid of the hierarchy and is just based on contributions and votes, or is it some hybrid of where we we are now? Uh, would love to know what what you think that future looks like. Um, that is, uh, I I barely know what a DAO is. I know enough to have a conversation uh, drunkenly at a an, like an Austin <laughs> tech meetup, but that's about it. But I, I will I will give you kind of like my honest opinion on, on what I think the future will be and and or what I what I want it to be, and it's I I want it to be free. I want people to have the freedom to make the choices that that fulfill them, and that allow them to work the way that works for them, and allow us as a as individuals but also as a culture to see work as uh, as a means of growth, both professionally of course, but like personally. And and a place in which people can can be connected to to opportunity, no matter where they are. I want like the same way that I grew up in a place where it's like there's basically like two choices of what you were going to be when you grew up. Like I want everybody throughout the world to have a million choices and to have examples of people who have succeeded in those and coaching and and means of finding that work like Upwork again, shameless plug. But for real, I think like that's the reason why I'm excited about working here is because I think like this is this is the future, like having having a a place where people can go and and sell their wares, uh, you know, meaning their kind of their their intellectual um, you know gifts, and and being able to do it in a way that um, that feels equitable and and serves not just the person who is paying for that work, but the person being paid for it too, and and serving them more than just in in the monetary sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's- it's an exciting future, and I think uh, we're going to see a lot of change in these coming decades. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Nathan. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and comment to help us spread the word. You can also find more insider content on the Assemble blog, and you can find me on all channels at Nate Watkin. And don't forget, if your producing team is in need of a project management solution, try Assemble today to streamline your production workflow. Our listeners received their first month free by utilizing the code OFFSCRIPT, that's one word, at checkout. You have been listening to the Creatives Offscript podcast hosted by Assemble. 